Canty and Carlin. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus, Series XM, Channel 80, and on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Amber Wilson and Nick Friedel, we're filling in for the guys today. You can tweet to us at Amber W Sports at Nick Friedel. You can also give us a call, 888-SAY-ESPN. So, Nick, there's a ton of breaking news across the world of sports that we have been unpacking today. UConn women's basketball star Paige Beckers, you heard it there in the update. She is going to miss the entire 2022-23 season after tearing the ACL in her left knee. That is a huge story out of the world of women's college sports. Also, we have been honoring the life and legacy of the great Vin Scully. We will continue to do that throughout the show. But the big breaking news out of the NFL is that the NFL has appealed the six-game suspension of Deshaun Watson. We had on Diana Rossini earlier in the show. She told us what might be next for Watson's camp after speaking with them. The next step for them now that the league has appealed is to sue the NFL in federal court. So it's just it's a long legal battle that that seems like it's going to it's going to take a while. But at this point right now, all we can do is kind of wait to see what's next. So we might be embarking on a long legal battle. Nick, that'll all come down to whether the NFLPA and Deshaun Watson end up suing in federal court. That would certainly make this all much longer of a legal battle. But even in terms of the appeal itself, we don't know who's going to hear it. We don't know if Roger Goodell is going to choose to hear it like he can under the CBA or whether he's going to appoint somebody else to handle it. We know that the NFLPA and Deshaun Watson's camp has two days to respond to the NFL's appeal. So that time period is short, but we don't know about the rest of this time period. We may be talking about a story that goes on for months. Oh, Amber, just what football fans wanted was this story hanging over everything that was coming into the season. But from the public perception part of this, I think fans understand why the NFL appealed. I think they are behind the decision given what had already come out about Deshaun Watson's specific case. And I defer to you in your legal background, but given what you saw in, in Judge Robinson's opinion, and given what we saw publicly as far as the news accounts and what Watson was alleged to have done, were you surprised that the NFL made this decision the way that they did to appeal? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that the NFL exercised the power that it was given, frankly, under the CBA. I'm not surprised also because the NFL was asking for such a stronger punishment than the one that was actually levied. We know that the NFL wanted at least a year punishment, if not an indefinite one. We know that the NFL wasn't willing to go reportedly below 12 games when it was in settlement talks and millions of dollars worth of fines. And so when Deshaun Watson gets a six-game suspension with no fine, it stands to reason that the NFL is not going to be happy and that the NFLPA and Deshaun Watson's camp are going to find that to be more of a favorable ruling from their perspective. So from that regard, Nick, I'm not surprised. The only reason that I would have seen that the NFL would not have appealed this decision is if the NFL did not want the onus on them, which was the whole purpose of the NFL agreeing under this new CBA to bring in this independent decision maker in Sue L. Robinson to make these decisions on these disciplinary actions. 
What the NFL has done, though, by exercising its appellate power, essentially, is saying, hey, we're now the story again, and so we're going to take the heat again. And that would have been the only reason that I could have seen the NFL foregoing this opportunity because they could have then thrown up their hands and been like, well, we tried, you know, we tried to bring the hammer down on Deshaun Watson. We wanted a much, much longer suspension. We do care about these things. We do take these allegations seriously from women. And we tried. It wasn't us. It was the independent decision maker and sort of just throwing up their hands and moving on with their lives, saying that they're going to respect the independent decision making process. Instead, they have now appealed the decision. If they choose to hear the decision as well and make the decision of the decision, right, where it's all back on the NFL, then all the heat and pressure is also going to be back on the NFL. Amber, that's the part that still surprises me, and maybe it shows some growth as far as what the NFL is trying to do transparency-wise and laying the hammer down much more significantly when it feels like one of their players within the league has really done some awful things. Uh, The issue to me is, as a fan, I'm watching this through the years. And again, this leads up to how we got to this point uh, in this specific Deshaun Watson case. You always wondered how the NFL was going to screw it up, frankly. You wondered how the NFL was going to find a way to see the evidence in front of them and in front of Roger Goodell and make the wrong decision. And as Carlin has said many times on his show here, In the last few weeks, you want the NFL to do what's right. You want the NFL to do what's do something for good, finally. And it feels like in this case, there was enough evidence in their mind to warrant a much stronger suspension. So on top of the games that they're looking for to tack on to what Judge Robinson put at 6-4 now, why, in your legal opinion, did she not include a fine that it seems like the NFL is now searching for in the appeal process? It seems like she interpreted the language of Article 46 in the CBA, which gives her the power to make these decisions, as either suspension or fine in a very literal sense. Not and or fine, but suspension or fine. Like That term is exclusive, and so if you decide to levy a suspension, then you're not also levying a fine. It seems like she took that terminology quite literally in her interpretation, and she decided to focus on the suspension portion of things in disciplinary action and her disciplinary action. I I do think it'll be interesting to see what happens with this appeals process because it's not totally clear. It says that this appeals process is going to be limited or limited to just the disciplinary measures that are taken. And here the disciplinary measure was the suspension. So will a fine when there wasn't one be levied, even though it's supposed to be just an adjustment of the disciplinary measure. And so we don't really know how this is all going to play out. This is all happening under a new CBA agreement with an independent original uh, decision maker. We haven't seen that happen before. We haven't seen how this works when the NFL appeals, something that Sue L. Robinson decided. And so we're all going to be kind of waiting to see how this plays out, even in terms of the timeline of how it plays out. And then the NFL PA and Watson's camp has certainly indicated to reporters numerous times that they're prepared to take this to federal court if they need to. I know people question, well, what would be the basis of that? Well, the basis of that would be fundamental fairness, right? Deshaun Watson will say, well, the NFL violated 
my fundamental fairness by then levying some punishment that ends up far more extreme than the one that Sue L. Robinson decided. And the whole problem with Sue L. Robinson's decision as it pertains to the NFL, where people think it was light, is what you just said and what you just alluded to, where you said for years you've been wanting the NFL to do the right thing, and yet they keep making these decisions, and there seems to be a lack of consistency in these decisions back when they were levying them under the old CBA before we had an independent decision maker. Well, that's what hurt the NFL when it actually came to the independent decision maker. Because she basically said, hey, you can't change course now, and just because because public opinion is different and public perception is different and there's public pressure out there. You can't all of a sudden say, well, just now suddenly we're going to start uh, issuing disciplinary measures that are so much higher than we otherwise did before in similar sorts of situations. She said, you need to give the players some sort of notice if you're changing course, but it appears that the NFL is going to attempt to change course through the appeals process. And maybe then the NFLPA or Watson's camp will try to take it up with a federal judge in an actual federal court. So the story is not going away anytime soon, but we did tell you that there's big breaking news from the world of college basketball. And one of the greatest UConn Huskies gives us her reaction. That's next. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN radio. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Canty and Carlin. Out of the world of college sports, UConn's women's basketball star Paige Beckers will miss the entire 2022-23 season after she tore the ACL in her left knee during a pickup basketball game on Monday. Beckers will undergo surgery on Friday at UConn Health, and an update on her recovery timetable will be announced after that fact, but we are expecting that she will miss the entire women's college basketball season. So let's bring in some help with the Paige Becker's conversation. Rebecca Lobo, ESPN's college basketball analyst, joins us here on Canty and Carlin with Amber Wilson and Nick Friedel filling in for the guys. Rebecca, thanks so much for your time on short notice. How does this impact UConn's title chances this season? Well, it certainly impacts them. Uh, we, we saw that a year ago. You know, Paige missed a considerable amount of time with her knee injury last year. And uh, along with injuries to other players, and, and, you know, we saw UConn do things it hadn't done before. We saw them lose the Big East Conference game. Uh, you know, we saw them lose to an unranked team. Uh, but fortunately for them, Beckers was able to come back and lead them to the Final Four, lead them to the National Championship game. A season ago, UConn most likely doesn't make it to the Final Four without Paige Beckers. She had a magnificent performance in their overtime victory against NC State in the Elite Eight game. 
15 points in overtime to help them win that game. So you certainly saw the impact she had on the team a year ago, a team that had seniors with experience, uh, three players who are now uh, on WNBA rosters. So certainly, um, certainly will impact uh, UConn this season. Rebecca, on a broader note, how big of a blow is this for the sport itself to lose its biggest star right now? Of course it's a blow. Of course it's a blow. Um, but you also have to remember that there are other really big stars emerging in women's college basketball. A season ago, the number one player that you would be looking at in terms of star power uh, after Paige or alongside Paige uh, is Aliyah Boston, who was the National Player of the Year for South Carolina, led them to a national championship. She will be returning for her senior year at South Carolina on a loaded team that will be the favorite to win the national championship. You still have Caitlin Clark at Iowa who uh, is one of the most exciting and dynamic young uh, players in women's college basketball. Um, Haley Jones out at Stanford uh, could lead her team to a Final Four and a national championship. So the women's college game right now has a lot of stars in it. Um, Paige is the most recognizable still, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of players who are are still on very good teams uh, ready to carry the mantle. Rebecca Lobo, ESPN College Basketball Analyst, joining us here on Canty and Carlin with Amber Wilson and Nick Friedel filling in for the guys. So reportedly she tore the ACL in her left knee while playing a pickup game on Monday. What do you make of the fact that she suffered this injury while playing a pickup basketball game? Well, my assumption is that she was playing pickup with her UConn teammates. Uh, you know, this is a time of year where players uh, would be back up on campus. I don't know if, if that's the case here. But often, uh, in all throughout the summertime, you're lifting and working out with your teammates and then playing pickup with your teammates. And if you're home, uh, you're also looking to play pickup. So that is not at all out of the ordinary in terms of an off-season workout um, to be playing basketball. It's how you stay sharp. So I don't know if this happened while she was on campus. I don't know if it happened while she was off campus, but absolutely uh, players play pickup in, in the summertime, in the offseason. It's, it's how they stay sharp. It's one of the things that help them uh, stay in shape. So there's absolutely nothing out of the ordinary about that. Rebecca, obviously you know that UConn program inside and out. How do you expect Gino Ariema to rally the group now in the wake of Paige's injury? Well, unfortunately for UConn, it's something that uh, they have experience with. You know, she, she missed a lot of games last year. AZ Fudd missed a lot of games last year. They had a cycle of about six weeks where um, they had different players. Um, Paige was the main one who was out, but a variety of players who were missing time, extended time, and, and, and Paige and AZ were, were two of those players. So uh, the rest of the team has experience playing without Paige. Of course, they would prefer to have her on the floor. Coach Oriama has experience having her uh, on the bench as, as a player who's injured and un- unable to play. So certainly it's, it's something um, that they have experience with. I'm sure <laughs> they were hoping that uh, that was behind them. But, uh, you know, there's still a lot of talent on that basketball team. They've got the best coach in the history of the women's college game on the sideline. So, um, you know, it's going to be uh, disappointing and different uh, as you look at this upcoming season. But, uh, you know, I'll be surprised if UConn's not still fielding a very, very good team. Rebecca Lobo, ESPN College Hoops Analyst. Rebecca, thanks so much for giving us some of your time. Thanks. My pleasure. Coach Ariema issued a statement. He said, we're all devastated for Paige. She's worked really hard to get stronger and healthier this offseason, and this is an unfortunate setback. 
Paige is obviously an amazing basketball player, but she's a better person and teammate, and it's really unfortunate that this has happened to her. We'll miss her presence on the court, but she'll do everything she can to still lead and help her teammates this season. Beckers was entering her junior season. She will undergo surgery on that torn ACL on Friday at UConn Health. Of course, Beckers also missed significant time in her sophomore season. So a tough break there for the UConn women's basketball team and a a tough break for Paige Beckers. Coming up next, it's been a busy day of breaking news, and we started our day here remembering the greatest broadcaster in history. We will continue to do that next. This is Canty and Carlin. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Canty and Carlin. Building for the guys on Canty and Carlin. Canty and Carlin is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. We have been remembering the life of legendary broadcaster Vin Scully, He entertained and informed Dodgers fans in Brooklyn and Los Angeles for 67 years. He passed away at the age of 94 yesterday. Let's bring in some help in honoring Vin Scully. Joe Torrey, Baseball Hall of Fame manager. And Joe, thanks so much for giving us some of your time. Like Vin Scully, you grew up a Giants fan in Brooklyn, New York. What was it like listening to Vin in Brooklyn when you were a kid? Well, you know, I I remember he was uh, the dreaded Dodgers announcer. So, um, uh, you know, but you couldn't help but admire how he went about his business. And, uh, you know, he's one of those guys when you meet him, uh, you know, he's every bit what you hoped he would be. Uh, He's a class act, nothing but elegance and um you know, what can I say? He had a long life and uh, certainly stayed in the booth for a long time for for all our benefit. Joe, why is it that Vin Scully had so much reverence throughout the game of baseball? You know, I think he was fair. You know, there, there are a lot of uh, announcing teams that sort of root for the home team. Uh, and even though he wanted uh, his beloved Dodgers to win, uh, he gave a fair shake to everybody. Um, uh, you know, I go back to my days as a player and every time, and don't ask me how this came about, it, it just happened. But Vin and I would sort of search each other out to tell each other some kind of corny joke. And uh, it got to be a, a ritual with us. And it, it was really cool. And then when I, you know, uh, 
started managing the Dodgers, uh, I mean, he embraced me. He just put his arms around me and gave me a big hug. He, he was a special guy, and, and, and I was blessed because I was out in L.A. to the All-Star game, and uh, I got to have a conversation with him. I, I gave him a call, uh, left a message. He called me back, and we chatted on the phone for about 15 minutes or so on the Sunday before the All-Star game. He had a remarkable career. Joe Torrey, Baseball Hall of Fame manager here, helping us honor Vin Scully. A remarkable career, Joe. I mean, 67 years broadcasting for the same team. It's a record in the entire world of sports. What does that mean to you as somebody who was the manager of the Dodgers, just in terms of how synonymous Vin Scully became with the Dodgers, him spending his whole career there, such a long career? Uh, you, you know, what's interesting is uh, nobody hesitates when you ask people, you know, who's your favorite announcer? You know, his name comes out of your mouth. And I, I remember just enjoying Vin when he was doing uh, PGA golf and, uh, of course, football and, uh, you know. and But for as long as he did it and he really didn't lose a step, um, you know, we always actually, when we – spoke here a couple of weeks ago we we always reminisce and and i i said vinnie you're the first one who really got that that joke started about you know chicken catchatory and and he remembered it you know right from the get-go we're at the coliseum and uh, i got a foul tip off my finger came out of the game uh, the next day i was playing third base and and he says uh you know, there's Joe playing third. He said if he uh, doesn't put the gear on anymore, he'll be forever known as Chicken Catcher Tory. And every, everybody groaned at that one. But, uh, you know, Vinny was the first one to jump that out at everybody. Joe, you obviously knew Vin for decades. But once you got to L.A., you saw him more on a day-to-day basis. What was it about his personality that resonated so much in Los Angeles and Southern California. He just was a positive guy. Uh, and again, he, uh, you know, he, he worked by himself, uh, because he had a plan. He painted a picture for you and, and he, it, it, it just the way he presented the game, it was really worth listening to. And I can tell you my experience as I was a player, uh, I'd be in the batter's box. And because so many people, when they came to the game, still wanted to listen to Vin, that I could hear Vin Scully as I'm hitting in the box because all the people had their transistor radios. And uh, he, he just was very special, very fair, uh, always cordial to whether you're the home team or the visiting team. He loved what he did. Uh, it, it certainly came across. And and he didn't mince words. If if the if the team didn't play very well, he'd let he'd let the fans know it, and so they trusted him. And, and to me, I think that's probably the highest compliment you can pay to anybody is the trust. Joe Torrey, baseball Hall of Fame manager, joining us. Joe, on the way out here, do you have a favorite Vin Scully call? 
Uh, the, the, uh, yeah, I probably do, and it was, uh, and I, I, you know, I, I don't want to screw it up, but that's my dog, one of my dogs <laughs> there barking, but uh, it was, uh, you know, it was Kirk Gibson. It was Kirk Gibson, and, and it was something about in a year that was so improbable, the impossible happened. And, you know, how do you pull that one out of the air? Uh, you know, when he hits the home run. I mean, that's something that, you know, say Hank Aaron's going to break the home run record. You know, you you rehearse it, and when it happens, you, you know, you spill it out. But uh, Kirk Gibson, I think, surprised everybody, maybe including Kirk himself, and he came out with that just the just beautiful, uh, appropriate comment, you know, talking about the Dodgers of that year were underdogs and, uh, and then, you know, the home run, the impossible happened with that. That's probably my favorite. That was the perfect answer, Joe. We actually have that call on hand. Here was the call from the 1988 world series of Kirk Gibson's home run. You described that perfectly, Joe. <laughs> and we didn't even rehearse. No, that, we didn't. That just stood out to me. That just stood out to me because I just, uh, it gave me goosebumps. There were so many of them from Vin Scully. Joe Torrey, thanks so much for giving us some of your time. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's, uh, he, he was a great man, a very elegant man, and I, uh, I was proud to be a friend. He called so many unbelievable moments in that sport, Nick. And it's just incredible when you think about 67 years with the same team, 67 years on the airwave, 67 years in people's ears. And, you know, he started with the radio calls. A lot of people think of him on television. I'm such a radio nerd. When I think of the art form of calling games, I think of it as radio in its purest form because you don't have the visual aid of the picture, right? Like it sounds simple to say, but I don't know if people outside of broadcasting really think about the complexity of the radio call and how incredible Vince Scully was at that. And he later brought that to television where he brought the game to you with his descriptions and his storytelling without actually stepping on the action and having such an incredible way of weaving it throughout the broadcast. He was the best that's ever done in Amber. And we've talked about it throughout the day, but to me, he was the bridge between generations and I can tell you that my dad was the one who taught me about Vin Scully, who had listened to Vin Scully growing up. And when my dad passed away unexpectedly about six years ago, it it was Vin Scully's final season. And when I I was hurting and I was feeling just awful some nights, I would turn on the Dodgers game. And I would listen to Vin Scully and hearing him made me feel just a little bit better in the moment. And I know that he was just such a force for so many people and so many families through the years. And we didn't grow up as Dodger fans, and 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 we had other uh, teams that we supported in baseball. But it was the power of Vin Scully's broadcasting and his ability to tell a story that always made everything feel better. And I know for me, 
hearing Vin in those moments helped me get through a lot of really tough times in the months after my dad passed. Yeah, Vin is like the soundtrack to people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's the connection there. You know, it's like going home. It, it reminds you of your late father. And Vin Scully, I'm sure, was that to so many people. I mean, 67 years. Think about the amount of people and generations that he impacted with his voice and with what he did so well and so beautifully. So Vin Scully passed away at the age of 94 yesterday, but certainly uh, just an unbelievable impact on the world of baseball and beyond. Coming up next, there's only one way to finish this show. Canty and Carlin is presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up next, we'll get to the three stories that we haven't gotten to yet today. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Part of the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Canty and Carlin. Wilson and Nick Friedle filling in for the guys here on Canty and Carlin. Let's bring in our producer, Evan Wilner, because he was trying to tell us some crazy story during the break. What do you have for us, Evan? All right, so I don't know if you guys saw this, but the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars tomorrow night will be playing in the Hall of Fame game. Tony Vaselli is going into the Hall of Fame, and uh, Leroy Butler is also going to the Hall of Fame, who Doug Peterson, the head coach of the Jaguars, played with in Green Bay. So Doug Peterson is flying to Canton with the team, uh, then flying home with the team, then flying back two days later to be there with Leroy Butler. And the only thing I could think of when I first saw this story is because Urban Meyer got in trouble last year in Ohio because he didn't fly back with the team. Doug Peterson now has to take two flights back and forth to Canton, Ohio to go to the Hall of Fame because this organization let Urban Meyer do what he did last year. And they just, I don't think it's like we don't trust Doug Peterson, but just for the optics, we can't do that again. What do you guys think yeah. of that? Like, you always have to be with the team now. I, I mean, this is completely absurd because obviously it would make all the sense for him to stay in Canton for the Hall of Fame celebration then. Uh, but you're, I think you're right. I think this is the Urban Meyer effect. I think this is absolutely, if you're the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, you better be on that team plane no matter what. This is ridiculous. And <laughs> never let a pro team say, ah, we don't care about the optics. They always care about the optics. And that is all this is, y'all, because we saw the ridiculousness of, of Urban Meyer and that whole saga last year. The Jags are just trying to be very cautious in how they roll Doug Peterson out. If I'm Doug Peterson, I've got to be shaking my head the second that first plane <laughs> leaves Canton and flies back to Jacksonville. The only thing he has going for him is it's not a real long flight, but this is a joke. Well, and also, let's not pretend like Doug Peterson is flying like the rest of us, right? Like, he's probably not in row 32 of JetBlue in the middle seat. I'm guessing that there's probably private planes involved here. So, uh, from that perspective, I guess him flying back on the team plane and then hopping on the PJ to go back to Canton isn't the worst thing in the world. But it's still hilarious that he even has to do this because it is ridiculous. And it's essentially Peterson then having to be put out... Because of what Urban Meyer did, even though I don't know, like, 
are the optics that bad? Would anybody actually be questioning it if Peterson stayed in Canton as long as he doesn't go to a bar and have questionable videos? Uh, Urban two point Come on, Amber. You know how this whole deal works. <laughs> stay out of the bars, Doug That's Peterson. So right. uh, stay away from uh, what videos could end up going viral on social media. But I don't know if he'd actually stayed in Canton if it would have been that big of a problem. Canty and Carlin. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio. Canty and Carlin's presented by Progressive Insurance. Amber Wilson and Nick Friedel taking you down the stretch. We've been filling in for the guys. We've had a lot of help on today's show. We've had a lot of breaking news to unpack on today's show. We learned during the show today that the NFL has, in fact, appealed Deshaun Watson's six-game suspension. They had until tomorrow at 9 a.m. to file that appeal They did it a few minutes early, uh, so we got the news that came down during the show today. Now it's the waiting game from the NFLPA side of things in Deshaun Watson's camp. They have two days to file a response to that appeal. We also got the breaking news that Paige Beckers, she has been injured. Uh, She tore her ACL in her left knee during a pickup game on Monday. She will miss the entire 2022-23 UConn women's basketball season. So a huge story out of the world of college sports. We have had a lot of help breaking down all these stories and plenty more. We've also honored the life and legacy all day long of the great Vin Scully. Rebecca Lobo joined us to help us unpack that Paige Becker story. Diana Rossini joined us on incredibly short notice to talk about the situation with the NFL appealing to Sean Watson. Joe Tor- Corey joined us, the Hall of Fame baseball manager, to honor Vin Scully. So did John Miller, the broadcaster, the longtime broadcaster of the Giants. Rob Ninkovich joined us as well. Uh, It's Tom Brady's 45th birthday. We didn't forget about that story. And Chris Canty, the host of this show, he stopped by his own show. Canty and Carlin have been hosting Greeny, filling in for Mike Greenberg this week. So it's been a lot of fun so far. Come down the stretch here, Nick Friedel. This is my fifth hour of radio. I'm tired, but hey, let's go three and out. Sometimes it's the worst. Sometimes it's the best. Either way, we'll get you straight with everything you need to know. This is three and out. This is Three and Out. Three and Out is brought to you by Indeed. Attract, interview, and hire at Indeed.com slash credit. Okay, there's news out of the world of golf that we just learned. Nick Friedel, speaking of breaking news, breaking news all over the place. We can't can't stop the breaking news in the world of sports. Well, we just learned that according to a lawsuit filed by Live Golf members, PGA Tour players who appeared in the first three Live Golf tournaments, which was a group that, of course, included Phil Mickelson, are facing nearly two-year suspensions from the tour through at least March 31st, 2024. The lawsuit said Mickelson, a six-time major champion, was originally suspended for two months by the PGA Tour on March 22nd for, among other reasons, attempting to recruit players to live golf. An appeals committee upheld Mickelson's suspension. His request for reinstatement about a couple months later was denied because he had played in the first live golf event in London. At that time, it was extended by a year. It was extended by another year when he played in Portland. Basically, every time he plays now for live golf, he is getting suspended from the PGA Tour for another year, Nick Friedel. All I hear right now is a principal from the Breakfast Club. You want another you just one? Just watch yourself another Saturday, Mister. 
crushed. You just bought one more right there. Well, I'm free the Saturday after that. Beyond that, I'm going to have to check my calendar. Good, because it's going to be filled. We'll keep going. You want another one? Nothing like a movie reference from like what? What Breakfast Club was what? Like thirty years ago? Thirty five no, years it, ago? It's older. I think it's older than me, or it's it's right there close. It so may I think be older we're than me too. Thirty five, forty years. But Amber, this is unbelievable. Frankly, that it had to take this lawsuit for this information to come out. And throughout the day, we've talked about the transparency problem that the NFL has had in recent years with how it's handled high profile cases. The PGA just was kind of like, ah, yeah, we don't know where Phil is. Ah, Phil's taking some time off. No, Phil got suspended. And now Phil's been suspended every time he's stepping foot on another Live Golf tournament. So there are some serious problems within the PGA Tour and within golf in general. And I don't see, as we are following all the the different storylines coming out here, how the Live players are going to be able to be barred from the PGA long-term. 1985, 37 years ago, was the Breakfast Club. Kids, go check it out. You think it still holds up? Is that older than you, Nick Friedel? Uh, it was. I was like uh, six months old. Okay, so you just came. You just got it in in your lifetime, The Breakfast Club. Uh, not not older than me either, but I was a baby when it came out. Uh, I have seen The Breakfast Club numerous times. I guess it holds up. It's a pretty pretty good movie. Not a good situation for Phil Mickelson in terms of the PGA Tour. Although, frankly, I don't know if he cares about that bridge. That bridge being burned. I mean, sure, keep tacking on the suspension because all Phil is probably hearing is cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Yeah, Phil's just counting his cash, Amber. Yeah, when it comes to the money that he's receiving from Live Golf. So uh, this this story with Live and the PGA Tour, I mean, it continues to thicken. I don't know if these golfers care about the suspensions that the PGA Tour appears to be handing down because, man, uh, they wouldn't have taken the bag to begin with probably if they were concerned about fostering that relationship moving forward. So we'll see how that develops. The 49ers general manager, John Lynch, he told the media that Jimmy Garoppolo is throwing without restrictions. Jimmy Garoppolo, he's throwing without restrictions. Nick, I don't know who he's throwing for. Well, apparently he's not his services aren't needed anymore in San Francisco and it doesn't feel like anybody else is in the hunt right now for those services. Amber, the, there's a reason John Lynch is saying what he is and there's a reason that Jimmy has been kind of thrown out there now in front of the fans and in front of some cameras. Hey, Jimmy's still alive. He's still kicking out here in training camp. The 49ers want nothing more than to get some team to throw them a pick or some future asset. The reality though is No team is knocking down John Lynch's door because they know that the Niners owe Jimmy a bunch of money, Mm -hmm. and it feels like the league views Jimmy Garoppolo as a backup quarterback because if they didn't, Amber, somebody would have come looking for help in a league where there is always a need for high-quality quarterback play. Well, I think part of the problem here is that Jimmy now has started throwing great. Uh, It's, what, August 3rd? And so everybody has their quarterbacks in place. And so that's problematic in terms of the 49ers situation trying to move him. And then 
Also, nobody wants to pay $27 million on a one-year rental, uh, even if you wanted him, frankly, as your starter, because they know the 49ers backs are against the wall. They're going to end up cutting him. They don't want that 27 mil on their books if they have him on their roster week one. So they'll end up cutting him and some other team can get him for the Chiefs. So I do think that factors into the situation. LeBron James, he took his sons, Bronny and Bryce, through a workout at the Lakers gym. Everyone's lost their minds, Nick. They looked great. Amber, it's only a matter of time before Bronny and Bryce get on an even higher platform. I'm curious if Bronny can make it into the league in enough time to play with his dad. I don't know. I mean, it can't be easy. It's got to be great in one regard, uh, having all the perks and getting to practice at the Lakers gym and your dad being LeBron James. On the other hand, your dad's LeBron James. And so the standard is set a little bit high for Bronny James. But Bronny and Bryce, people are very excited about their development so far. And you know that they have a heck of a mentor in their dad. Coming up next, a heck of a mentor in Spain and Fitz. This is ESPN Radio. Check out Canty and Carlin, weekdays on ESPN Radio and on ESPN+.